How's it going, everybody? Tuesday morning edition NHL Fantasy on Ice. Pete and Rob here with you. Robbie, how's it going, man? Rangers already on the brink here. Yeah, it might be the first team out of the bubble, Pete. So we'll see. Hey, I'll have to say this, though, guys. It's it's a different team without Igor in net. And I know that yep. wanted to see Hank have one last shot. But I think it was soul-crushing for the New York Rangers yesterday. Noon start that Igor couldn't go. For sure. And I didn't get to talk to you guys yesterday. I feel like this Ranger series and also a couple others, like the Toronto game one, also the Minnesota-Vancouver game one, I feel like I'm watching the same game over and over with these lockdown teams shutting down a high-powered offense that has had four-plus months off. Do you take anything from this as a trend coming out of the pause? Or do you think it's just a little bit of both, Robbie, between these lockdown systems? Well, I think we were saying that, I mean, two months ago on the program, like New York just doesn't have the defense to, to compete mm-hmm. with Carolina's defense. They're just so mismatched in that, in that way. And if the Rangers don't score on a power play, you can already tell as soon as that power play is over, Carolina's got the big five-on-five advantage right away. Now, I thought the Dougie Hamilton injury would have hurt the Canes a lot more than it did. That's one area where I think Carolina deserves a lot of credit. A second area where they deserve credit is Peter Mraz. He made some huge stops in yesterday's game alone in the first and second period, where honestly the Rangers, I thought, had the higher quality scoring opportunities compared to the Hurricanes. I'm glad you said that, Robbie, because Mrazek was unbelievable. I think he had uh, – Howden had a wide-open shot. He shut him down. Zibanejad right into the glove hand shut him down, and he made some big saves along the way. And uh, going into it, I didn't know if I had a lot of faith in Mrazek, but he's been great. What do you guys think about Carolina's ceiling? Because we saw how far they got last year getting to the conference final – They're making a cakewalk out of the Rangers right now. I don't think the Rangers will go without a fight in game three. And we might be talking next show that they're still alive. I wouldn't be surprised by that. But again, looking ahead, it looks like Carolina is probably going to advance here. So like, could they win multiple rounds? Could they go to the conference final again? Could they go further than that, uh, considering their young core and untapped potential? I think it's still, I mean, you look at Peter Morazic in, in these first two games. I mean, the, the game yesterday, like th- that could have been a blowout for the Rangers early if they would have just capitalized on some of those chances. And it's a much different game. Svechnikov scores from basically the blue line on one of those one-timers. I mean, come on, Hank. Like you, you got to, at a certain point, it went right over his shoulder. It was, it was in the middle of the net. It wasn't like a top right snipe. I mean, at a certain point, let's call a spade a spade here. Carolina is a quality club. One of the best coach clubs in the NHL. But this is a New York Rangers team that it came out flat defensively and it's really burning them. Does the goaltending matter for the Rangers? Like, would they still be losing this series with Shesterkin? And another question I had, because the fact that they're playing Lundqvist, you know, Lundqvist didn't hurt them in game one. Game two was a little shaky. Georgiev, remember when Shesterkin was injured uh, from the car accident? And they were playing Georgiev so often. One time they even played him on both both ends of a back-to-back. Like, is Georgiev getting the short end of the stick here? He's a UFA. Do they play him in game three? I hate to say it, but I think Coach Quinn is nervous to pull out the veteran in Hank. I think he's scared Mm -hmm. to shake up the room like that. But Pete, (laughs) to answer your question, this was a team that was entirely different when Igor first took the net in January. That team, we were waiting to see something out of them all year long with Panarin signing and all that exciting stuff with the Truba trade. When Igor took over, it was a night and day difference for that club. They need a player like that. And I think, yes, Hank played okay in game one, but if Igor starts those games, that something in front of Igor happens differently. 
considering it's back to back today on Tuesday, I think just to mix it up, I think Gorgiev is going to get the start. It doesn't make sense to throw Hank out there back to back three games, throw Gorgiev out there, hopefully change it up. And I'll say this, and it's not just the Rangers, any team that's down 0-2 in the bubble, I'm not, I'm not betting. I'm just not. I think it's a different set of circumstances. They might just wave the white flag. See you later. We want to go home. Bye-bye. Because Rob read the stat yesterday. Coming back from 0-2, it's not happening in a five-game series. I'm sorry. So the Rangers might just bow out and want to get out of that bubble. I'm not betting them today. Fair enough. I, I would be curious to see. I mean, we're going to move on from this game because, you know, the series might be over by the end of the day today. <laughs> but uh, I'm curious to see if they start Georgiev. Remember, he's one of the best road goalies in the entire NHL, which could translate to the neutral site. And then another thing, maybe we'll see a little bit. I would be excited to see maybe stacking Panarin and Zibanejad on the same line and putting your best foot forward before you go out with a whimper because nobody expected this. Even if you said Carolina was going to win the series, I would have been shocked at a sweep, and I would still be shocked at a sweep here. So moving ahead, different game. We have a noon start for the Islanders-Panthers. This is one of the series I guess I would say is not surprising so far. There's really been no uh, trends in the series beyond the New York Islanders playing sound right. defensive hockey. Right, and I mean, if this is a low-scoring series, Florida's finished. Even if Bobrovsky is uh, playing well, which he did in game one, I think he had a 9-29 save percentage in the game. So he wasn't the reason they lost game one, but yeah, there will be defensive lapses from guys like Matheson. Even now that Ekblad's back, he's far from perfect. So the Islanders look like the more steady team. They look like the more structured team, the better coach team. The question is if Florida gets a bunch of power plays in a game, if they, you know, say have five power plays in a game, which is uncharacteristic of the Islanders to give that many, would they go three for five? Could they break open these games? Because if they get higher scoring, then Florida could creep back into the series. In that event, though, Pete, I think that would be a one-game scenario, period. And Barry Trotz (laughs) would make adjustments, crack down, and discipline that team. And then they'd be right back there playing the same brand of classic Islanders hockey the next game. So when you're looking at a five-game series, even if this thing goes the distance, I like New York in almost every single tilt here. It was good to see them win a game with Pajot, right? The exhibition game doesn't count. They were uh, winless in their first seven since that trade. So uh, they got on the right track. He scored. He's playoff proven. And, uh, yeah, I just think uh, you see the Islanders, too. They're having, they're having fun on their off days. This is a team that got to the second round last year. They've been through the rigors before. They just look like the more proud franchise on and off the ice right now uh, compared to Florida, I think. I think we're showing our New York bias, and I really think on a Tuesday here with so many games, we need to be zeroed in on the games that really, really, to me, matter. (laughs) And and I'm telling you, I am looking forward to the 4 p.m. puck drop, Columbus, Toronto, Tortorella against that. I would be shocked if Toronto doesn't respond, but I could see it, and I think it's a pretty big price to pay for Toronto, just like I felt yesterday with the Penguins. I thought the Penguins would win, but – Listen, a puck bounce either way. They could have lost, and it was a high price. Carry price was great. Minus 170, I was going to touch the Penguins. I think Toronto responds, but again, be careful with the price. Minus 150, it's pretty high. I'm not paying that. Seth Jones and Zach Wierenski for the next 15 years are going to be trading off Norris's every different season. Like This is a team that is built so sound from the back. It doesn't really matter who's skating up front. 
I'm worried for Toronto. I know it's been one game. I don't want to sound the alarm. I don't want to be the guy to overreact. But this is going to be a tough, a tough hole for Toronto to climb out. And at minus 150, I'd much rather see Toronto win like a 3-2 tight checking game tonight and then bet on them the next night than take it tonight at that price. Petey, did you think Toronto played well in game one? I thought they played really well. The goaltending for Columbus was fantastic. I think Toronto, they have to win this game. I thought they played well in game one, but it's, again, too high of a price for me. They did play well in game one. Freddie Anderson had one of his uh, better games of the season, I would say. He wasn't the reason they lost, even though the one goal was a little suspect. Austin Matthews, man, six shots on goal. He also hit the post. He is knocking at the door right now. Play him in DFS in game two. Uh, but then again, from a team standpoint, yeah, that was gutsy for them. They Corpus Allo over Elvis. I probably wouldn't have done that, to be honest. So major props to Tortorella. And again, if I learned anything from watching these mismatches with the offenses falling victim to the strong defenses through the first three days of the playoffs, I'm looking at teams like Minnesota and Columbus to possibly replicate it like, you know, the Rangers fell victim against Carolina on Monday morning. So, like, if I've learned anything, I think there's a real appeal to those two teams getting a 2-0 series lead. It's, it, it's like... They're not favorites, but maybe necessarily, but there's some real appeal for them to replicate. And how bad does Columbus want to send home Toronto to their own city? I mean, that yeah. would be the <laughs> ultimate victory in this oh, format. I, I do want to touch on this, Pete, because I talked about it a little bit with Nick yesterday. Uh -huh. The Arizona-Nashville series. Do you think that going back to Pekka Rene is better for the, for the Predators in the series, or do you not really think it matters for that team? Well, how crazy is it? Like so many of these games so far have been unders as opposed to like two of the Chicago games. And one of the only other games that was over was that first game between Nashville and uh, Arizona that we thought would be like a goalie duel. So I think that game was a little flukish in terms of like that first game, the first goal for sure of Arizona was like that wouldn't have happened like 95 times out of 100, obviously. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see that series shift to a lower scoring pace. And uh, I probably would go back to Saros in game two. He earned that right. I don't know. I mean, like, go back to Rene maybe down 0-2 in the series if it comes to that. I think this is Saros's team. Yeah, I think the moment you start Saros, you have to go with him in game two. Right. And, and Pete, like you mentioned, I think some of it was a little fluky. And you mentioned the unders. All these games going under. I actually take the under in the Arizona-Nashville game one. The, the <laughs> nice. series that is most likely to stay under probably, and it goes way over. So, I mean, at some point the overs are going to – it's going to correct itself. At some point the overs are going to start coming in because the unders have dominated. Yeah, I mean, and they'll probably keep coming in the Chicago-Edmonton series because last night we saw it again. Edmonton got off to the fast start, and then all of a sudden it's 3-3. Chicago is uh, really – flexing their muscles here, showing that they're not just a championship core. They're a great young team uh, that has a higher ceiling in the years to come, like kind of that second wave for, uh, for Chicago in terms of their championship, like in terms of like uh, what we saw with the Penguins years ago, like remember early 2010s, like they were, they were look, they looked like they were kind of like regressing as a franchise, even though they still had those core guys. Now they have such an influx of young talent that you wouldn't be surprised to see them take further steps forward the next two or three years. Pete, half of our listeners, they weren't even born in 10 years ago. So let, let's talk about the present. And the present is right now. Bob Bender is really worried about his Edmonton Oilers yeah. pick because Chicago just looks quicker. 
they have the well I don't want to say they have the better goaltending but I think they have steadier goaltending Koskinen last night was a little shaky I know Crawford was shaky last night also but I'm a little worried with that series pick Rob how do you feel about that series right now well it shouldn't even be at this point we should not be two games in watching the Oilers and totally backtracking on how we felt about them prior to this qualifying round starting this is ridiculous it's absolutely unacceptable. And, and Dave Tippett knows better than anybody that this is not the same team that we saw right before the pause. This is a total defensive lapse team. And honestly, guys, maybe they overplayed their hand in the regular season. Maybe the penalty kill overachieved because this is certainly not sustainable, especially, and this is no disrespect to the Chicago Blackhawks, but that team is fried as far as I'm concerned. The fact that they are hanging in games, the fact that they made that a 3-3 game at one point last night, easily could have won that game. You score one more goal out of Patty Kane that last night. That's it. As far as I'm concerned, the only reason Edmonton won was because Connor McDavid is, is absolutely on every shift taking the game over. Other than that, they've got no appeal in a deep Stanley cup run. None watch out future betters. And dry has sort of been non-existent. If, if you took them high in, in a, in a pool, where has dry been? Far behind guys like Kubalik and stuff like that and Patrick Kane, I would say that for sure. But, yeah, I think that Settle will get going here. He was really good in the playoffs a couple years ago. He did have a hat trick. I saw a graphic that said um, McDavid's hat trick was the first since Settle in whatever it was, 2016 or 2017. So you do have some past playoff performance from Settle to fall back on. But, yeah, I mean, this team, Edmonton, you got to start to make some adjustments here because like you're going to score goals either way if you're Edmonton, but the only way that Chicago has a shot in hell to win this series is if you're playing six, five games or four to three games, you know, stuff like that. Well, and in Koskinen's eight, eight, five save percentage is going to do nothing for them in the long run too. I mean, just wait till they play a formidable opponent in the next round. If they, if they make it there, I mean, that's game set and match. Now I did want to bring up this Pete, uh, for you on the program, obviously Winnipeg yesterday, um, that was my like throw it out there type of bet. I was not sold on that by any means, but mm-hmm. I said it because it was great value, a plus 135. And Winnipeg is just a team that I, I feel like has is plays better when they're down a hand, plays better with a chip on their shoulder. I mean, last year when they were healthy against the St. Louis Blues, they blew it. Now that they're down a hand, down a man or two, it almost seems like they have a better appeal against the Calgary Flames. They do. They're not going to go down without a fight. Uh, We were talking about that. I was texting Bobby, and we were saying, could Winnipeg still win this series against Calgary? I think it was on Sunday uh, without Shifley and or Line. And I said, yeah, I think they still can because, uh, I mean, I liked how some of these no-names stepped up. You saw, you know, of course, Jack Roslovic have a multi-point game. That was a couple of years you know, overdue, I think. Uh, it's good to see him get a big role and finally take advantage of it here. But yeah, Wheeler is an absolute tank. Kyle Connors playing game one played like almost 24 minutes as a forward. So, mm. and you know, Cody Eakin is no slouch either playing with Ehlers. And how about Ehlers finally scoring a goal in his 23rd career playoff game? He was 0-4 before that, scores the game winner. There was a five on three for a full two minutes, I think in the first period, and they were just passing the puck around. They didn't even have a quality scoring chance. And then Adam Lowry scores like four seconds when it's back on five on five after that. So just wait until Blake Wheeler comes through and starts putting the puck in the back of the net. 
Calgary's got a real problem to worry about there. Now, in Calgary's defense, they did look good on the counterattack yesterday. They did look pretty sharp. Elias Lindholm had a pretty solid game. But, Pete, I'm still a little bit worried about the Flames. You're not seeing that dominant performance from the Sean Monahans, from the Johnny Gaudreau's. That is where Calgary really needs to find their game. And I think they're running out of time here. You know who's really good on Calgary? Backlund. Backlund, uh, you know, had a point in the first game, then had five shots yesterday. He seems to be like the constant uh, through thick and thin. He was in the regular season, too. That second line, like we've been saying all during the pause, was their better line during the regular season. And he was the centerpiece with Kachuk and uh, Mangiapane. So, yeah, I think Backlund is DFS lineup lock territory at this point in time for Calgary. But their top line, though, we shouldn't be talking about Michael Backlund right yeah, it's now. True. We That's shouldn't true. like I I love Michael Backlund, but he's he's a good second line filler. Round out your DFS lineup, a hundred percent good lock play there. But this has been a problem with Calgary now for the past season and a half, dating back to when they played the Colorado Avalanche in the playoffs last year. We're just not seeing that takeover performance. And again, Pete, this is one of those situations. If we're talking general general broad strokes here. If they advance, I mean, they're going to get absolutely crushed against a healthy team in the West. So this is just like a, you know, if you start winning against the Jets, enjoy it now. But it's going to be short-lived. And they're going to be another team on the second of a back-to-back here. You're curious to see how that opens up things maybe uh, for the Jets offensively. And, you know, when I was talking about Wheeler and really the physical – so Wheeler got in that fight the other day with Kachuk. And then, of course, you know, the physical response, they were coming at Kachuk hard in game two. And I thought that was a really important thing for them to establish. And a similar trend happened in the Vancouver, Minnesota game. Elias Pettersson was borderline getting bullied. He was getting, you know, physical, tall, imposing play by the Minnesota Wild. How do you think that the Vancouver Canucks and their speed and their skill how can they elude that type of uh, attention to their top players like Pedersen to break out offensively? Well, it's going to have to be on Coach Travis Green to get better matchups, get better line matchups for Pedersen, give him some space out there, let him work, let him breathe. I do think that that team, though, Pete, the Vancouver Canucks, like that's one game where I think they can throw that out the window and respond better the second game. I am really curious. That's my most anticipated game of the day. Vancouver cannot go out of the bubble without a fight here. They have too much offensive upside to just lay flat against a team, really, that doesn't have as much offensively. I hate to do this because it's Billy G. It's my wild pick. But I think Vancouver is probably, if I had to stamp one of these games, I would take Vancouver tonight. I think Rob is right. I think they do respond. I think Travis Green figures some stuff out. And, and really, I don't think Markstrom played all that well in game one. I thought he could have been better. So I'll take Vancouver late night, 1045 Eastern time, folks. Bob Bender going against his pal, Billy G, but Vancouver will get tonight. Which offense do you like more between Vancouver or Toronto to bounce back uh, on this Tuesday? I would probably lean more towards Vancouver, but I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to say with Matthews and how he was playing. You wouldn't be surprised to see a multi-goal game here in game two either. I would have said Toronto initially, Pete, until Tortorella pulled a 200 IQ move and started Corpusallo and he gets a shutout. Like that, that's something that you just don't, you would never draw that up otherwise. Yep. So I'm going to give Vancouver uh, the edge here. Now, one thing I do want to forecast, since I don't think we're going to have a show tomorrow, is the Pittsburgh Penguins against the Montreal Canadiens series. The Montreal Canadiens, this is a 1-1 hockey game up until the middle of the third period last night. 
Penguins had five power play attempts. I actually said on the show yesterday, they're going to have like six power plays. They have every night they've got four or five or six power plays. They're not putting the puck in on the power play. Where's Malkin? Where's Crosby? Like this is like, this is legitimately a problem. If you think the Penguins are going to make a deep run this year. I think they're one for 12 on the power play or something like that. And the first how do they have games? 12 power play attempts in two games? I'm telling you, it's incredible. I was saying it last night because the Habs were hanging around, hanging around. I just saw that equalizer happening until, you know, they, they got that second goal. But, yeah, one for 12 on the power play or something like that, that's just that's hard to do if you're the Penguins. Yeah, and, you know, at different points in the series, they've had some good looks. They've had some good puck movement. And I just don't really – I don't get how this is really a problem two games in against the Canadians who really don't even – belong here when you think back to uh, the seating and everything like that. But uh, one thing for Montreal that I noticed from game one is Brendan Gallagher had nine shots on goal, which was the most of any player through the first couple of days of this, of the postseason. So Gallagher has been bringing it. Uh, they're looking like a team that could run three lines on the Penguins. And, you know, if Crosby and Mal- I know Crosby scored uh, what both games, but Malkin's been a little quiet. If they don't, if they're not getting production from their second line, they're not going to be getting it from their third line. And then Montreal closes the gap in terms of on paper matchups and stuff like that. So Montreal looks like a little bit of a deeper team right now than Pittsburgh, which is scary for sure. And well, and Carey Price has been just incredible. I mean, he was incredible mm-hmm. last night. I mean, save after save after save, shutdown after shutdown after shutdown. So that's how you can go one for 12 on the power play when the goaltender is standing on his head, which is what Carey Price has been doing. You know, it's a really ridiculous stat that last night's win by the Penguins snapped a seven-game playoff losing streak that spanned three different postseasons. So that one started in that series against the Caps a couple of years ago when the Caps won it all. And then, of course, they got swept last year, dropped game one. So they needed a win pretty badly. But now uh, you got to raise the bar a little bit if you're Pittsburgh. Take advantage of the power play and uh, put this Canadians team to rest over the next couple of games. And in all fairness, too, like that, that might have just been it for them, P. Like they might have just needed to break out of that and just mm-hmm. complete 60 minutes with a W, no OT, no struggle like that. So I will give the Pens the definite advantage here for the rest of the series, no question about it. But if this is going to be a 1-1 hockey game tomorrow, a late in the third period, I mean, that's when I think future betters need to start worrying about if they pick the Penguins to go to the Cup, bad pick. So in terms of lineup locks, like for DFS, or if you can make moves in your playoff pool, a couple of guys that come to mind, uh, especially that Carolina looks like they're going to advance here. Sammy Votnin, three assists in two games. He's been working it on the power play. Cheap defenseman. Get him into your lineup whenever you can. Another guy, Connor Sheary, playing with Crosby and Gensel. He seems to be getting points uh, every other shift uh, dating to the exhibition game and then had a multi-point game yesterday. So Sheary... Uh, looks like he's back on the map for fantasy purposes. It's good to see that. And I think if, if you are playing the Pittsburgh Penguins in DFS tomorrow, you got to get Gensel in your lineup. You got to build around him and then maybe round out for a cheaper option like Sheary, since I know Crosby scored, but that's still, if they're going to go 0 for 5 on the power play every night, like you're not going to get value on a $9,000 salary. So Gensel spend a little bit down for you'll save 2000 there. And then Sheary's right around the 4000 price range. Definite lineup play there. 
And one line that I saw that was new compared to the regular season that I was hyped to see and it paid some fantasy dividends was the Coyotes, who we talked about earlier. They are playing Phil Kessel on the same line as Taylor Hall. They both had big performances. Kessel had two assists. All of a sudden, you start looking at the Coyotes as a team with a lot of recognizable names. They do have an identity. They do have a strong goalie tandem. They do have a shorthanded weapons like we saw from Grabner, and they have a bunch of other guys that could score shorthanded goals. We've seen glimpses of that over the years. So, yeah, like all of a sudden the Coyotes, you start to look at as a team that could put the puck in the net. They're not just this like low-scoring, boring brand of hockey. They got a lot of recognizable names, and they're fun to watch. They were the other day. I do want to throw out the round robin series here too. Uh, yesterday, it was it was nice to see the Caps and Lightning go head to head. The first period of that game was a sleeper, no hits, no nothing. Second period, both teams came to play, and it was a really good product. Each team had about forty five hits in that one. Uh, there was a fight. I mean, those are if you look at teams play right now and you want to identify contenders for the Cup, those two teams right there might be leading anybody's list at this point in the ball game. No Stamkos for the Lightning. No John Carlson for the Capitals, arguably two of their most important players on their respective teams. The fact that that was such a tight game, high intensity, heavy hitting, fighting down to the wire, that's what you want to see in the postseason. The round robin games have been pretty good, honestly, when you think about that the seeding is kind of a crapshoot and some of these teams are dealing with injuries, like even Vegas was playing without Pacioretty. What a comeback, four unanswered goals down three to one. Usually when Dallas is up three to one, right, they lock down the game and they they get the W. But I think Vegas showed that they're definitely a championship contender like we thought they were uh, just to kind of knock that Dallas team out of sorts without their best player, maybe, in Pacioretty. I have to defend Dallas here. I got to defend the Big D. Uh, they had everybody play in the whole hockey game. There was no uh, there was no parity in their line switching. Every single line got burned last night. And I think it's great to see them score three goals because, Pete, what you said earlier, when they score three goals, they're up three to one in a hockey game. 99 times out of 100, they are winning that game. They're closing out. I think they needed that one game. Ben Bishop, 875 save percentage, though that does not go in the same sentence as Ben Bishop. So I think moving forward, great sign for the Stars. Get some depth scoring like they did from Alexiak last night and other guys. Pavelski got the rust off, Pete. I think that's actually a good victory for the Stars moving or good uh, sign for the Stars moving forward. Yeah, and as much as that was a high-scoring game, like I saw Hintz almost scored. Leonard made an incredible save. So Leonard, of course, got the start over Flurry, which is a – Really fun storyline to look at for the next couple of weeks ahead to see if that could be either a rotating game or maybe even Leonard could start uh, game number one when when it comes to the first round of the playoffs. So, uh, again, the round robin games probably wouldn't recommend betting on those games. If you're uh, into that sort of thing, it's just too wacky. But they're fun games to watch. Even that Colorado game with the buzzer beater, it's like these are – some of the best teams in the league playing against each other, trying to get their feet wet on the new season. And, uh, you know, so far the results have been really fun. Now I do want to ask this uh, to either Peter, Bob, whichever wants to answer Tyler Sagan, at what point do you really start to worry about this player? Minus three, no shots on goal last night. And, and again, Dallas, it's great that they got Pavelski with the goal. It's great. Alexiak scored and some of these depth guys were scoring. But at what point do you need to say, I'm worried about this player? We saw his fantasy regular season was no good. So what do you make of this, Pete? 
Yeah, normally Sagan, you could always fall back on the shots. Even in a game that he goes 0 for, he'll have four or five shots. One of the best volume guys in that category in the whole league. So, yeah, it is concerning. You know, you start to overthink these things. You think, how does he perform in this particular system? You know, he used to be a higher scoring player, 70, 80 point player. He's not that caliber anymore based on the past year and a half. So uh, it's concerning for sure. And uh, for DFS, like he's the high price. I'm steering clear of that player, especially if you're not going to get the safety net with the shots anymore. And especially too, when you look at the West, I mean, Vegas is a perfect example. They got goals from Wild Bill last night. They got goals from Mark Stone. Like when Mm -hmm. they're healthy, they're going to get scoring from the top two lines. I don't think you can say that with confidence about Dallas now that Sagan's been uh, without a goal in a long time. So that's my concern, I think, for futures bets, for DFS plays. You mentioned Pete too. Like that's just not a team where you can say anymore, okay, I feel really good about this, where I think preseason-wise, going back to that, we were really high on this team. Yeah, and when you look at Vegas, like 10 different guys can score if they want. They got goals from five different players on uh, Monday night with uh, against Dallas. So their depth is amazing, even without Pacioretty. Chandler Stevenson, how about that player, scored the first goal for them, filled in for Pacioretty. Sometimes he plays left wing, sometimes he plays center, but he has been one of the most underrated acquisitions of the entire NHL season. And you'll bet that if Pacioretty misses any significant time, he can help keep them afloat. And that's the type of players that you need this time of year. And I, I just want to close my thoughts by saying, you know, when you are looking at criticizing a team like Dallas or you can criticize Boston's performance in their first round robin game, mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like these teams, they just don't have to get up for these games. So before you start to worry about it, like you can't. That's why I think it's fair to criticize and give some constructive feedback for the teams playing in the qualifiers. Absolutely, because those are do or die. But when it comes down to the Boston Bruins, the Dallas Stars, even if the Golden Knights last night didn't play a complete game with Laner having like an 8.85 save percentage, I still would not be worried about any one of those teams right now. Fair enough. Yeah, we're looking forward to the next uh, couple of slates of games. It seems like you go to bed and then a couple hours after you wake up, the the puck drops on a new game. We have some back-to-backs. Every single series in the qualifiers between the teams that are, you know, maybe facing elimination and stuff like that. Everybody's going to play at least one back-to-back. So it's going to be great to start digesting some of that data and how it affects uh, the swings in the series. I can't wait to look at the data, man. It's all about the data. Take that for data. Listen, for Petey, for Robbie, someone else picked me up on the lockout. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you on Thursday, boys. If you have any questions in the meantime, I'm at NHL Reese, Petey's at NHL Jensen, Bobby's at Aircheck, and we'll talk to you guys later in the week.